lead pastor here at Antioch. Uh, so glad you're hanging out with us this Sunday evening. Uh, before I jump into the message, I want to uh, give a shout out. We've got some friends with us from Antioch Fort Collins. I think they're over here. So they've spent the last couple days in our city uh, sharing the gospel, praying for people. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for being at church. I think it's, what, a seven-hour drive ahead of you? So uh, thank you for being here. Um, well, hey, I am excited to jump into Relationships Are Hard. Uh, we have been in a series uh, called We the Kingdom for about the last three months. And uh, as we prayed through uh, moving towards Easter, uh, what God had for us, um, we felt like relationships. Now, I just want to give a disclaimer here. I know if you're, you're seeing this for the first time or you're hearing that we're going to do a relationship three-week series, you're thinking um, this is the opportunity to learn how to date better or to get married and how to do marriage better. And yes, we will talk about some of those things. We will hit on some of those things. But here's the deal. We're talking about relationships not only because they're hard, but because they're transcendent. We all have them. And so think about how many relationships you're in right now. I'm not talking about romantically. I'm talking about uh, moms, dads, uh, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, co-workers, bosses, uh, uh, teammates, uh, let's go, roommate, um, uh, classmate, I'm running out in my head, um, acquaintances, old friends, best friends. We have so many relationships that mark our life, and we were made for it. We're made for a relationship. We're made for a relationship with God, and in His design, and in His wisdom, He set up the system that we not only need our relationship with Him, but we need each other. So if you're in the room tonight, and you know another human, you're in a relationship. And that relationship might be a little hard at times. So here, just to cover my bases, I want to do this. I'm, not, I'm an introvert to the core, so I can't believe I'm doing this. Turn to the person to your left and introduce yourself, even if you already know them. There we go. People are meeting each other. This is awesome. All right, now turn to the person to your right and introduce yourself, if you didn't already. Wow, we're going for it. All right. So now... I've covered the bases. We are all in relationship with someone. We all know someone. Yeah, that was nice. But here we go. So we're made for relationship. We all have relationship. A lot of us desire relationship. We desire health in our relationships. Uh, a lot of us des uh, desire, uh, you know, the romantic side of relationship. We, we desire it. We want it. We're made for it. We have it. But oftentimes, relationships are, are, are the greatest source of disappointment and discouragement and pain. And so this message, as I prayed through the, the introduction to this three-week series on relationships heading us into Easter, I felt like God took it, took it a different way than I would have gone. And so tonight, like I said, we're not gonna, I'm not going to get up here and, and, and tell you the three steps, excuse me, <clears throat> the three steps to having I need water. Yep, you got it. <clears throat> wow. Oh, wow. Okay, hang on. Still bring me the water, Chris. That'd be great. 
Okay, let's try that again. I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to give you the three steps to a better uh, uh, romantic life, the three steps to how to pursue someone, the three steps to to getting engaged and to getting married. Uh, We're going to talk about a foundational message that applies to us as believers in all of our relationships. Are you guys ready? All right, so we're going to camp out in Genesis 25. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Matt, stick with me. I'll let you know when to throw it up there on the screen, okay? So let me give you the backstory real quick before we jump in. We're going to talk about the story of Jacob. So if you follow the lineage from creation from Adam and Eve, thank you, Chris Jarrock. If you follow the lineage from Adam and Eve, one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham, and he says that his descendants will be, will be like the, the number of the stars. And if you, if you follow the family line, Abraham has a son, and his son's name is Isaac. And Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah uh, want to have kids, and they're having trouble having kids, and they're praying, and they're praying, and finally the Lord gives them kids. And here is the birth story uh, of Rebekah having the kids. So here we go, Genesis 25, we're going to start in verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So let's just pause right there for a second. See, we don't live in this, uh, this culture or this context anymore when it comes to names. You see, what happened there is the, uh, Rebecca gives birth. Out comes Esau, who is red and hairy, so much so that he looked like he was wearing something, like a garment. And so they looked at him, and they named him Esau. Anyone want to guess what Esau means? Hairy. So Esau means hairy. So they looked at him. They said, he's hairy. His name is Esau. And then here comes the second child, and he's grasping uh, the heel of Esau as he's coming out. Jacob is. And so they look, and they, and they say, well, this must be Jacob. Anyone want to guess what Jacob means? Heel grabber. His name means heel grabber. But you see, in that context, it was a euphemism. It didn't just mean one who grabs heels. It was the heel grabber, the manipulator, the supplanter the deceiver. They looked at Jacob, they looked at the external, and they said, that's, what he's, that's who he is. He's a heel grabber. And they named, can you imagine being Jacob and growing up in your family, in your community? Everyone knows what your name means. It, it, in that culture, it, the, the, the weight behind names uh, is unlike anything we have today. I'll give you a good example. My name's Cody, and it's the feminine spelling of the word, C-O-D-I. Just take that to the next level. And my name means pillow. (laughs) So thank God we are not living in the same time and the same context. When Kate and I, uh, I I had no part in the birth. When Kate gave birth to our kids, we did not wait for Eleanor to be born and then say, she looks like a shining light. That's Eleanor. Or looked at Shepard and said, he's a shepherd. We, 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 We just don't live in the same time. But names still mean a lot. We're going to continue in the story. We're going to keep talking about it. See, the next time we pick up the story, the next verse, the boys have grown up a little bit. 
And you, you already see Jacob living up to the name that he's been given. So verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, I love that, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, dad loved to eat, and he loved the guy that loved to go hunt. So Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We're already seeing the, the structure of the family. Dad has a favorite. It's his hunter. It's the guy who loves to go and catch his meals for him. And, and mom loves Jacob. That's her favorite. Keep going in the story. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why it was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? Keep going. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and uh, some stew, and he ate and drank, and then he got up and left, and Esau despised his birthright. A couple of things right here. Jacob is already living up to his name. I don't, we don't know exactly what age they are, but years have passed, and Jacob He's known as the heel grabber, the deceiver, the manipulator. And his brother comes in dying of hunger, and Jacob sees an opportunity to live up to his name. See, birthrights were a big deal. Esau, although he was only seconds earlier in the birth order, he was the firstborn son. So his birthright, he's going to get the, the lion's share of his father's estate. He, that, that's, what his birthright, that's what Jacob is stealing from him, his inheritance. So Jacob is living up to his name, and he's, he's, he's manipulating and he's deceiving his brother. Now, I want to pause for just a second, because there, here's the reality. I, again, like going back to a second ago, we don't live in the same culture that they did. Names, maybe your birth name doesn't define who you are, but we are still humans, and we are still craving and desperate for a name, for identity. We live in a society where our identities, the, the, the world we live in, they would, if they read our book and our stories, they wouldn't understand, but we're defined by what we do, how good we do it, and who we do it with. You see, this is where I, wanna, this is where I felt like God bringing us into uh, a sort of identity slash relationship message tonight, because here's, here's where we're going. Relationships are hard, and relationships will always be hard if you don't know who you are. Because here's what we tend to do. Think through the names that people have spoken over you throughout the years. What has is, what is mom and dad said about you growing up? What does your brother ridicule you with? What did, what did your friends call you as you grew up and as you got a little older and, and you got into friend groups and you started maybe dating and suddenly just, you just go through the years and the people that we're in relationship with, often we hand them the naming rights and we say, mom, dad, whatever you say of me. And there's people in the room tonight that still to this day, whatever mom and dad says, they have the final word. They have naming rights over you and over me and, 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 and maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's one of the, your friends in your friend group that you're desperate. 
You're desperate to maintain uh, uh, acceptance and, and to be loved and to be, be stamped, affirmed by your friends. And so whatever they say goes. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And you're so desperate for them to tell you who you are. To, the relationship validates who you are. And, and you think that if you get married, that will finally be the end of you wondering, who am I? It'll be the ultimate uh, uh, completion. I don't have to struggle anymore because I'm married. Can I tell you? I heard a pastor say this once. If you're in the room, I'm, here's who I'm talking to right now. If you're in the room and you're married, you're engaged, you're dating, or you want to be dating. The Bible says that marriage is two becoming one. It never says two, whole, two halves becoming whole. So we have built up an altar of romance and said, if I can just make it, if I can just get the girl, and if I can just get married, if I can just somehow convince her to marry me, I will be whole. I will find what I'm looking for. And it is the great deception of relationships. You will never be made whole by another person. People will always let you down. And it's why relationships are hard because all throughout our life, we have given the naming rights to our relationships. And we're putting a burden on each other that we were never meant to carry. Our relationships were never meant to carry the burden of identifying us and naming us. And so this is why relationships are hard because when, when, when relationships have naming rights, then when your friend says something sarcastic and it wounds you, it wounds you. Because it's not just a hurt. You didn't just get offended. Your identity got wounded. Because that, that's a friend that you need them to tell you you're good enough. And you need them to tell you you're still cool enough and you're still okay. And so we get wounded in our relationships because we've given them naming rights. It's why when mom and dad are disappointed because your career hasn't panned out the way they wanted to, or you, you didn't use the degree that you got in the way they wanted you to, or you're just not as successful as your brother or your sister, or, or there's just some level of disappointment. It's not just a mom or dad wanting the best thing for their kid, and you're a little disappointed. They're, they're disappointed. You're wounded. And suddenly there's a breach in this relationship that you can't get over, and it's hard. That's why when you're dating and someone breaks up with you, your world seems like it's over because you don't know who you are anymore because it wasn't just a wound. It wasn't just part of your story. It was, my, who am I? My identity was in this relationship. This girl had naming rights, and now she's gone. What do I do? And we get into marriage. It's the same deal. I say, you know, I say something that, that hurts Kate, or Kate says something that hurts me. Like, we will always let each other down. We just have this great mutual understanding that we're not enough. And we can't, I will never be enough for Kate. And Kate will never be enough for me. And that's the design of God. But if you go into dating, and you go into marriage, and you think, they will be my enough, they will be, they will be enough for me, you will be disappointed, and your marriage will suffer, and your dating relationship will suffer, because you're putting all your eggs in a basket that was never supposed to be there, okay? All right. Here we go. We all have names. We've all been given names, and just like Jacob, let's, let's, let's keep going in the story of Jacob. We're going to pick up his uh, next uh, little story in uh, two chapters later in Genesis 27, 
uh, I believe verse 18. You want to put that up there? Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Hey, take that off for a sec. Okay. Sorry. All right, here we go. So here, I want to, I forgot, I was supposed to, I'm, I'm going to bring you into a story, and then we'll jump into Scripture. So Jacob sees another opportunity to, two chapters late, uh, later to live up to his name. See, by this time, years have gone on, and his dad is dying. He's on his deathbed, and from the context of the story, his dad is dying. And there's this really holy moment where, where dad, Isaac, brings Esau, his firstborn, and he says, Go hunt me some food and prepare me a meal and come and we'll dine together and I will give you my blessing. You see, in this culture, uh, birthright and blessing were two of the most honorable things. And it was, a, it was a moment for a father to pass on the blessing of the family to the son. So Esau leaves and, and Jacob, with his, along with his mother, overhear what's happening. And they come up with a plan to, to be Jacob to be a deceiver, to be a manipulator. So Jacob uh, prepares a meal, but there's a problem. Esau is hairy. So he takes some uh, animal carcass and he puts it over his arms and his neck. He covers himself with animal hair and he goes in there and he prepares a meal and he puts it in front of his father. And his father is tricked into believing that Jacob is Esau. And, and, and Isaac gives Jacob the blessing. And Jacob quickly leaves, and that's where we, we enter the scene. In verse 36, Esau comes in from hunting, ready to go dine with his father and get his blessing. And he prepares a meal, and he walks in, and there's this moment where dad and Esau realize they've been tricked yet again. And Esau, in his anger, says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he rightly named Deceiver? Isn't that just who he is? He's a manipulator and he's done it again. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked his father, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And the next four verses are a really sad tale of woe for Esau. He's begging his father, don't you have anything left for me? Didn't you save any blessing from me? See, this wasn't a culture where Isaac could just say, uh, never mind, I take it all back. It was done. And Esau is broken and he's hurting. And in verse 41, he says this. He had a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning my father are near. And then I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob and or Jacob's mom overhears Esau making a pledge to kill him and sends Jacob into the wilderness. Now, this is the part of this Jacob story where if it ended like this, Jacob went into the wilderness and died in his shame and condemnation, we would all agree with it. And we would read it and we'd go, he got what he deserved. What a cautionary tale about deceiving and manipulating and stealing and taking what's not ours. And it says that Jacob goes into the wilderness, he's by himself, and he lays down in the woods, and he's sleeping. See, we serve a God who, praise God, is different than you and me. He doesn't write the story the way you and I would write it. Because here's what happens. Jacob falls asleep in the midst of shame. Let's just remember, his father is dying on his deathbed blind, and instead of telling him he loved him, instead of savoring the last moments, he tricked him, he lied to him, and he stole from him. Now he's out in the woods by himself, 
wrestling with that. And God shows up in his brokenness. Genesis 28, chapter 12, Jacob has a dream. And he has a dream in which he sees a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Is there one more? I think there is. Is that it? There we go. And he finishes with, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done that which I promised. We're going to sit here for just a second. Because in, in Jacob's, at this point, his darkest hour, God shows up. And he doesn't discipline him. He doesn't tell him all the ways he's messed up. He speaks a promise over him. And I just think we need to stop for a second and realize that it does not matter what has been spoken over you. The promises of God over your life are yes and amen. In his darkest place, God shows up. And you know what he says? He says, Jacob the deceiver, all peoples will be blessed by you. They won't be manipulated by you. They won't be deceived. You won't be, you won't be tricking people. You'll be blessing them. He speaks identity over Jacob in the middle of the woods in his darkest hour. And I think some of us have to wrestle with this. That I don't know. I don't know what name you've been given. I don't know what your birth name. Some of you, I don't know what your birth name is or some of you I do. But we all carry names. I don't know what yours is. I don't know if it's prideful or selfish or lustful or lazy or never going to amount to much or always a screw up or not that smart or not as pretty as you could be or not as pretty as your sister or not as cool or not as athletic or not as successful. I don't know what you're carrying in today as your name. But what I know is that God shows up and he says, my promises are still true. My promises over your life are yes, and they're amen, no matter what's been spoken over you. As we continue with Jacob's story, I wanna, we're going to uh, zoom through the next four chapters, and I'll s- summarize it like this. Jacob has some girl problems, and he has some uh, father-in-law problems. Uh, uh, in short, he agrees to work for seven years to earn the woman he loves. And then the woman's father tricks him and gives him a different daughter that he didn't want. So he agrees to work for seven more years to earn the the wife that he wanted. And when you, so now we're at 14 years. By by about year 20 plus after this moment in the woods, uh, Jacob has, uh, he's got family, he's got kids, he's got attendants, he's got livestock. The promises of God are coming true. And then this moment happens. Remember that God's promise was, I'm going to send you back to your land. So God shows up and he says, Jacob, it's time. It's time to go back to your land, back to your family. And so Jacob gathers up his new life and he starts to set out towards home. And he sends out some messengers, some scouts, and he says, go go check it out. Make sure the way's safe. Make sure everything's okay. And they come back and they say, Esau, 
has gotten wind that you're coming. And he's coming out to meet you and he's bringing 400 men. Jacob begins to freak out a little bit. And the strategy in him, the, the, he's always fought with his mind really well in life. And so he begins to think, how can I manipulate the situation to get out of this alive? And he starts separating his family into camps. And he thinks, okay, if I send different camps to go at different times, uh, maybe some will be destroyed, but not all of them, or maybe they'll spare them. And he starts sending Esau hundreds of livestock with messengers to say, tell Esau that his servant Jacob hopes that he receives this gift. And he's trying to manipulate his way out of the situation. You see, for Jacob, the promises of God were coming true in his life, but see, there was this lingering question. Is my past going to come back to get me? I lived for so long as the, the, the deceiver, the heel grabber, the manipulator. I, I ruined my family. I was a terrible son. I was a terrible brother. I was, law, I was just, I was, I was the deceiver. And he looks and he sees, he realizes Esau's coming and he, he realizes his past is catching up with him. And then one night, he sends his family away and he's spending a night alone in the woods. And God shows up again. Let's uh, pick it up. Genesis 32, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Keep going. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Okay, so if we haven't caught this in the story, a few verses later, uh, we, were, uh, we don't have it up on the screen, but Jacob uh, keeps asking, demanding who he's wrestling with, and it's God. So Jacob is wrestling with God, He's doing what he's always done. He's at the end of his rope. His past has caught up with him. He's, he's just, he's a man uh, just devastated and broken. He's wrestling with God. God, you know, the one who like knit Jacob together perfectly in his mother's womb, knew right where to touch on his hip. And so he touches his hip and he breaks Jacob physically. Now think about this for just a second. How are you wrestling with a broken hip? So you're not, uh, if I have a broken hip, I'm not wrestling standing I'm not wrestling on my knees. So Jacob is somehow on his stomach or on his back, but it says that the man then asks, let me go. What is Jacob doing? He's, he's grabbing. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's grabbing onto God's heel. He's on his stomach. He's got nothing. His hip's been broken, and here we see Jacob once again living up to his name. He's the heel grabber. And he's, but, but see, this is a different kind of heel grabbing because what does Jacob say? Don't leave. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the man looks down. And God looks down at Jacob laying down with a broken hip, grasping onto his heel. And he looks down and he says, who are you? And that name, when he says Jacob, that's not just Jacob. That's a confession. I'm Jacob. 
Everything that you've heard about me, everything that's been told about me is true. I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the manipulator. I'm the deceiver. I've lived my life under the weight of what other people have called me, and here I find myself, and I'm not letting you go until you bless me. You've got to have a moment. You've got to speak something over me. And God looks and says, you've prevailed. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God, and you've struggled with men, and now you have prevailed. Now, I don't know about you, but this doesn't seem like a very prevailing moment for Jacob. But prevailing with God is a lot different than prevailing with men. Jacob, broken, grasping on to the foot, ankle, heel of God, refusing to let go and refusing to to do anything until God blesses him. See, what's happened is Jacob's disappointment, his discouragement, his pain, his shame, it's led him to dependency. And he refuses to let God leave the moment without doing something. And God says, I love this, I think a lot of us could get a lot out of Scripture if we just started looking up people's names. Does anyone know what Israel means? It means God prevails. He looks at Jacob. He says, you're not Jacob anymore. You're not the heel grabber. You're not the deceiver. You're not the manipulator. I call you Israel because what I say prevails. You've lived for how many years under the weight of this name you were given? And you lived up to this name. How many of us in this room live up to the names we're given? We live up. We're so desperate for a name. We're so desperate for identity that whatever it is, we'll live up to it. How many of us are stuck in laziness because for years we've been called lazy? And we just, that's our identity, and so we live out of it, and we live up to it. And God says, that name doesn't prevail. Your name's Israel. Your name means, literally means, God prevails. And here's, here's where I, I know this is, this is the start of a relationship series, right? And this is like kind of a weird backdoor way into it. But I don't think anything else that could be said about your relationships would matter. If you don't know who you are. See, our relationships will always be broken. And they'll always be disappointing. And they'll always be a place of pain if we don't know who we are and we're we're looking for those relationships to define us. God looks at Jacob and he changes his name. He ends his lifelong struggle with his identity and he stamps him approved. He stamps him, God prevails and God prevails over your life. As I kind of bring us around the, the, the turn here as we head home. God's the only one that can name you. I know that's like a silly, like, like, like a, a bumper sticker type of a moment here, but it's true. And as I, as I pray and as I look out and I think of all of our relationships and I think of the marriages in the room, and I think of the, 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 the people in this room that are engaged, and I think of all the friends in this room, and I think of all the hopes and dreams relationally that everyone in this room has. It's just, it's, our relationships won't work until we know that they can't name us. They don't have naming rights over us. 
And we'll never see the health and the freedom and the wholeness that we're designed for until we catch that. And I want to I end on, on this. We have a responsibility in the kingdom. The Bible says that the power of life and, de- and death is in the tongue. You and I, we don't have naming rights over each other. Uh, it does not matter if you're a life group, uh, you have a life group leader or a pastor or a preacher or a teacher or an amazing person. They don't have naming rights. You and I are responsible to remind people what God has spoken over their life. We're called to remind each other of what God's already said. That's healthy relationship. That's relationship that points people to Jesus. That's relationship that points people to freedom and to wholeness and to life. Just think for a second. The people in your life that you've been entrusted with, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. You can reinforce Jacob the deceiver over their life. And you can make fun of them every time they mess up. And you can call them screw-ups. And you can make little jokes here and there about how they're never dressed cool enough or they're not popular or they're not trendy or they're not successful or whatever. And you can think it's fun, but people are going home and they're broken because their name that they've been given that they've carried around with is just being reinforced. And if it's not, if the world, if school, if class, if, if work, if those places aren't going to be places where, where everyone is reminding people of their God-given identity, then we better be doing it in the church. Our life groups better be places where people can come, and they can come and they can bring that name tag they've carried around their whole life, and they can say, for the love of God, tell me who I am. And, and I hope it's not this. I hope it's not what my mom says about me every time I call I, I hope it's not what my my husband says when he's frustrated with me just to poke at me, just to make fun of me. We have to be a place that speaks life and reminds people of their God-given identity. Amen? Amen. So I just want to take a second as we close, and I want everyone to just think for a sec. What is that name that you've been carrying around with? And maybe you've been a believer and you've gotten free and you've been set free and you don't struggle anymore with the names that were spoken over you, but you know, we're human. And I, something I've noticed about us as humans, we love to, connect, to collect name tags. So we might know, we might have, be free from all this struggle, we might have, we might have uh, 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 seen freedom in our life, but, but we're really good at hearing something someone says and just writing a name tag down. That's who I am. And it must be because my friends in the church and all these people that love me and love God, they're saying it over me. We've got to, before we jump into what it looks like to have healthy relationships, we've got to know who we are. I love the story of of Peter in the gospel. Jesus looks at Simon, silly, little silly Simon. And Jesus changes his name to Peter, the rock that he'll build his church on. Just reinforcing. Jesus changes names. I don't change your name. No one else in this room can change your name. It's Jesus. If you're in the room tonight and 
You haven't met Jesus. You haven't even, you haven't even met Him face to face yet. You haven't even had the opportunity for your name to, to be rewritten, for that, your identity to be solidified in who He is. I want to tell you about Him. He died on that cross. We're going to get together in, in, in a couple weeks. We're going to gather on April 21st, and we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate that, that Jesus, God in man form, came down to earth and lived a perfect life and died for you and me. He died that he might set us free, that we might not have to live under the, the weight of sin, the penalty of sin. He conquered sin, and then he conquered death. He conquered the wages of sin as well. And he rose again. We're going to celebrate in three weeks. He didn't just die. He rose again. Jesus looks at you and he says, I died and I rose again that you might have abundant life, that you might know freedom, that you might walk with me, not having to go your own way and trying to figure out your life, but walk with me and let me show you what it looks like to live free and to live hope and to live joy and to live out what I say about you and to live my name I give you. That's the gospel. That's the God we serve. The band wants to come up. I want to take a moment here and just, and just pray. And if you're in the room and you haven't met Jesus, the Bible says it's, it's believing. It's believing that he died for you, that he rose again, that he conquered sin and death, and believing it so much that you'd confess it with your mouth. So why don't you all bow your heads and join me as I pray. It's, it's not a religious act. He's after your heart. So you can, you can pray these words. You can, uh, you can pray your own words out loud in your heart. He's after your heart. Jesus, I give you my life. I can't do it on my own. I've lived under the weight of other people's names for too long. I need you to rename me. I need you to speak to me. I've tried to be the Lord of my own life and it doesn't work. So Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Come meet with me now. Amen.